take the Bibles and turn to the New Testament letter of Paul to the Colossians, and we're in chapter 3. And I want to ask, before we look at the text, God's blessing us. Lord, I thank you for your mercy and your grace. Thank you for the privilege that is ours to know you and to study the word that tells us about you. We were looking this morning about the subject of examining ourselves. You told us to do that. And I pray that for my life and for our lives since we're looking at the scriptures. Lord, we want to be effective and sensitive to you. We want to please you. And so I pray that you will give us ears to hear, eyes to see, heart to obey you. As we're talking about taking off the old sinful lifestyle and putting on a godly lifestyle, a practice which cannot be done in the flesh, and yet one that you've told us to be involved in. And so I pray that that tension and the compliance with your word in this area will permeate our hearts. Will help us to be effective at Blue Ridge Bible Church for reaching the lost and making disciples. We are coming on a week of vacation Bible school. We've got kids running around here and parents that don't know you. And so I pray that you'll help us to be an effective witness, an effective voice. Bear testimony to these people of your mercy and your grace. A lot of people hurting today. A lot of scary things going on in society and in the world. But you're bigger and you've given us a stability that the world doesn't have. So I pray that you'll help us to lean on you and to follow you and to obey you. And really honestly seek to glorify you with Jesus first. Give us the, the ability, the wisdom, the passion to do that. Bless this time we look now at the book of Colossians, Paul's letter to the church of Colossae, and bless this through our hearts that we might glorify you. And I pray in your name with thanksgiving. Amen. Paul is, as you know, we've been talking about in chapter 3, putting off and putting on, putting off the old man, the self-indulgent sinful man, and putting on the new man, the Christ-likeness in our lives, be involved in doing those kinds of things. There, there are verses that we have quoted and read about um, Ephesians 4 has been one of the big ones where Paul talks about um, laying aside in reference to your former conduct before you were saved, laying aside 
uh, in reference to your former conduct, the old man, which is being corrupted in the lust of deceit, and to be renewed or renovated in the spirit of your mind, put on the new man, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness. This is a picture as we started looking there with our outline and the contrast of the old man which is in the lust of deceit and the new man which is created in the likeness of Christ and we want to, to be involved in that. We don't want to practice this in the spirit of legalism and I've been thinking about that that really and truly there are things that we are told to do in the scriptures and in one sense, we know that we can't do them unless the Lord is behind us, unless he energizes and enables us. And yet we are still told to comply, <coughs> to follow, to listen. In, uh, in that passage, we're looking at Ephesians 4. Paul goes on to talk about laying aside things like falsehood and to speak truth, each one with his neighbor. We're members of one another. So we're bodies, and in the body we need to be honest in speaking the truth with each other. Um, he talks about dealing with anger in your life. Do we get angry sometimes? Yeah, we do, don't we? Be angry, but don't sin. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. Don't give the devil an opportunity, he said. Mm. Let the one who steals stop stealing. Steal no longer, but rather he must labor for me with his own hands what is good, so that he'll have something to share with someone else who has need. And so we put off. The point is to get rid of the old practices that are sinful practices in our former life and put on the likeness of Christ. Let no unwholesome word, he says in verse 29, proceed out of your mouth, but only such as the word that is good to get this for building up what is needed so that you'll have grace to share with those. He says something in verse 30 that I thought was interesting and I think it's relevant and that's why I'm reading that verse to you. He says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Holy Spirit is a person. He wants to give us wisdom and direction here to give us energy, to give us strength, to encourage us. That would be in this all this area Putting on yes, Peter. Confusion about where you are. Oh, I'm sorry. Ephesians four. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, we're in Ephesians four. I've been reading the the verses. They're beginning in verse twenty two, but I'm down to about around verse thirty now. Sorry about that. But he does say that not to grieve the Holy Spirit of God, and that's because the Holy Spirit is actively working in our lives with these things and putting off some things and putting on some things. He's working. And we don't want to grieve him. This is his work. And so he says things in verse 31, like let all bitterness and anger. That's an interesting term when he says let. He doesn't command us to do it here. He's saying let these things <coughs> change, which means that the Spirit of God is working. He's giving us energy and giving us direction. We are to let those things happen. Let bitterness and anger, wrath, Shouting, shouting. Are we people that shout? <laughs> yeah, we probably are sometimes. We are. We, we struggle with these things. I do. Slander, 
Let these things be put away from you along with malice. <coughs> and so here's the picture, the contrast, the old man and the new man. And by the spirit of God and, and uh, the mm. power of the word of God, the truth of God's word, we want to put those things off. And the reason we want to do that is aside from the fact and is that we want to obey the scripture. But when we put off these things, our life begins to look more and more like Christ. We're going to see that here in just a few minutes. And when our life looks more and more like Christ, we'll be more usable in his hand and we'll be more effective. Uh, I struggle with that. I struggle with the passion of that. I struggle with the effectiveness of that. I struggle with, instead of wanting God's will, I struggle with wanting my will, my way. And uh, I'm sorry that that's an error, and I don't like that, and I pray about that. Uh, that's just part of self-examination, but it's really important to do that, I think. And so uh, I want to be pleasing to him. I want to honor him. The second part of that is not just the contrast, but the renewal that goes along with that. So just watch what he says here. Um, he says, since you put off the old man with his evil practices and put on the new man who is being renewed. And that... I don't know how exactly to say it so it makes good sense, but there are two references to something that's new here. The first reference is a reference to the new man, put off the new man, or, or, or put off the old man and put on the new man. And then here, the new man is being renewed, as he says here, to a full knowledge according to the image of one who created him. So there's the new, put on the new man, and then there is the new re being renewed. The, the, the new man, the reference to the new man, uh, and this is maybe four or five things in the verse, and I'm, I, I'm, I don't want to confuse you, but I think it's, it's helpful to me to see this. This reference to the new man is reference to the new man in reference to time. New as a verse versus to old, versus old. And that's um that's to be expected because the language there talks about taking off the old man and putting on the new man. Um yes, sir. Uh, well it, it, both Colossians and and in Ephesians. I'm going to be switching you over there for a second to Matthew, but you don't have to turn. I'm just going to read it. But he talks about taking off the new man. This was a, a reference there in our text taking off the old man rather than putting on the new man. That new is reference to time. To give you an illustration of that, Matthew 26, 9, the same word. He says, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine from now on until the day when I drink it new with you. So he's talking about that that's, a, that's going to be a new, a new in reference to time. Mark 22 is another verse. No one puts new wine into old wineskins. So here is this reference in taking off the old man and putting on the new. The two words we understand together. We have the old lifestyle. We want to kind of stop that, get rid of that. And we're beginning a new relationship and putting on a new reference to the Lord, a new man, a new lifestyle, new habits, and so on and so forth. But then he adds this word renewal which is being renewed to a full knowledge. Um, I guess if two things that maybe we ought to say to that. 
First of all, this is not the same word as the, as the previous new, which refers to time here. This does refer to new in quality. This does refer to a newness of quality, and it's it's used there with a, a, a grammatical preposition that stresses this almost a step-by-step -step contrast to the previous. It's a it's a new contrasting new quality of life as opposed to the old habits that you had, the old lifestyle, the old things that you did. This is a new quality. It's a strongly emphasized new quality of life. Um, the old, the old man, Ephesians four twenty two. Don't turn to it. The old man, which is being corrupted in the lust of the sleep, the sea, just tells us that the old man is lustful, is deceitful, is sinful. We want to get rid of that and put on the new man. And then he says, secondly, not only is that talking about a new inequality of life, but it's also in the the way that it's used there stresses a continuous process. My translation, the King James just said it's renewed, but my translation translates that being renewed, which stresses this point. And I know it's, it, it may be a little bit tiring to hear about it, but it stresses the point that this process of being changed into the new quality that God has is a process. So he translates that being renewed. And then the third thing here in this text uh, is that this new man, when he says is being renewed, he's being renewed into a full knowledge. You see that in the text that also, and I'm 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 speaking this apart because I think it's really important. This full knowledge, this abundant knowledge, this experiential knowledge. Two words that we can use to speak of this. One is the little preposition in, which means you renewed in a full knowledge. The other is the word uh, ice, which means into. The word that's used here is into. It means, just listen, it means that as you are putting off the old man uh, and putting on this new man that is being renewed um, in a new quality of life, that you're being renewed into a relational knowledge with the Lord himself, an abundant knowledge with the Lord himself. Not, not a knowledge that you're already in, but a knowledge that you are going into. You are learning and progressing. You understand what I'm saying? And grasping this. And so as you're learning, as you're making progress into this, putting off the old man and putting on this yeah, new quality of man. The full knowledge, the abundant knowledge, the experiential knowledge, the, the relationship that is now developing is more and more becoming your experience and your, your portion. Uh, remember, you won't like this, but remember the Bible makes it clear that your unregenerate man, which is everybody in this room before salvation, did not understand or grasp or appreciate or embrace the things of the Lord. You ran away, just like I ran away, turned your back, and didn't want to have anything to do with it. And that's why I prayed earlier that the Lord would open our eyes and give us eyes to see and ears to hear. Help us understand that if we put off this old man, 
uh, and put on this new man that is being renewed in this new quality of life, being renewed continuously, that it is leading us, funneling us into a growing full knowledge, a full relationship with the Lord, knowing him, knowing about him, knowing his truth, and these things. And then the last part of that verse, and I know we've gone over it, but I, it's just really to me, it's on my heart, really important. Not only this full knowledge, but that uh, we are created, that full knowledge is directing us into the likeness or the image of our creator. The creator uh, is invisible and you can't see him, but Jesus is his image. He's the one that that uh, has revealed him on his told them uh, uh, Philip Philip room said, I haven't been so long with you, Philip, and yet you have not known me or seen me. He's revealed in John's gospel as the word became flesh and the word broke among us. The word is the is the communication of God. God has revealed himself through his son, and his son reveals himself through his people. That's the point. That's what we are seeing here. Is this is this is that's why this is really important. There's not much we can, can do <clears throat> in learning how to put off the old unregenerate man and put on the new man that's being renewed by the power of the Holy Spirit, so that we become more and more embracing the the, the experiential knowledge of the Lord and his life and his word in us and, and display our and he's revealed here as the creator. It's interesting that he's revealed as a creator because he revealed himself in nature to the world as, as a creator. And uh, that he shows himself. And we are uh, even a clearer revelation, should be even much clearer revelation of his creative ability and his lordship than even in creation. So this is, this. I can't overemphasize the importance of this, that we're looking at these things. This is the goal. That we are to be like our our Savior, our Creator, by putting on the new quality of man and being renewed in this intimate knowledge, which is uh, according to the likeness of, of Christ of God, and we are revealed through that picture. So, one more thing we'll look at, and then we'll be done for today, and that is uh, this uh, this full knowledge of the Lord as He is revealed himself, comes with a rather interesting statement in um, verse 11, which when I read that, as you would probably do too, as you're reading your study, you're in there and you're talking about putting on the old man, putting, taking off the old man, putting on the new, which is being renewed, a new quality of life. It's being, it's taking place. It's leading to a full knowledge uh, of the Lord so that you can display the creator, those kinds of things. And then all of a sudden he says this, he says, a renewal in which there is no distinction between Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave and free man, but Christ is all in all. And my question is, uh, why, why, um, why that? You ever run that, you, you get a verse and you have something that kind of comes out of the text and almost, I don't know if you remember the commercial where I think it was men in skin breaks, the way you put some on and it's like a hand reaches out of the mirror and slash you. And the guy said, Thanks, I needed that. <laughs> well, this is like that verse, it, it just kind of slapped me around. And I was thinking, Now, why is that in the birth there? Why is that there? 
And then I, I will, let's look at these, these people that are revealed here. That's another verse, by the way, that's similar to that, and that's Galatians 3.28, where it says, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free man, there is neither male nor female, but you're all one in Christ. So the two passages that talk about these different groups that are sort of, I wouldn't say in animosity, but they don't get along real well together. And now they have put it together here. So let's look on. There are four groups. There are racial, racial barriers, religious barriers, cultural barriers, and social barriers, if you will. And I, I want to just look at it quickly. First of all, the racial barriers, and that would be the Greek and the Jew. And uh, the Greeks are the would be the phrase used for Gentiles. So we've got Jews and Gentiles here. Uh, the Jews did not think very highly of the Gentiles. They walked on the other side of the street. They did not buy food from a Gentile butcher. Uh, if they went into a foreign country, they stayed away as much as they can from all the people. And when they returned to their homeland, they would literally stop and shake the dust off their feet and off their, their clothes. Now, this is, this is really an extreme. I agree. But for people to practice that, not just one or two, but that to be a mass practice of Jews on a regular basis, says something about their disdain for living in the same world and breathing the same air as Gentiles do. And that they wouldn't go over to Gentile house to eat. Uh, they wouldn't eat food prepared by the Gentiles. Uh, they considered Gentiles dirty. That's the miracle of the gospel, by the way, when Paul says in Ephesians, um, but now Christ, um, in Christ Jesus, you who formerly were far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who made both groups, that is Jews and Gentiles. The Jews and Gentiles, if they came to the temple, there'd be a, a, a dividing wall between them, and the Jews and the Gentiles never makes... And he's saying that, he, that the, through the blood of Christ, uh, he's made both groups one, and he's broken down that dividing wall of the petition by abolishing his flesh, that enmity with the law of commandments contained in the ordinances, so that in himself, that is in Christ, he might create the two. Now, here we are, is one new man. Jews and Gentiles is one new man. So that separating barrier there in the temple has been broken down, but in this text here, uh, they are mentioned as two groups that are racially um, at odds, and that was true, and that's true at that time, too, and there was a difficult um, relationship of Jews and Gentiles to get along. So just bear that in mind. We go from the racial group to the religious barriers, and the two words there are circumcised and uncircumcised. That's only the two groups of humanity. Uh, either you're Jews, Jew, circumcised according to the law, or you're not. If you're not circumcised, you're outside. If you remember David, I always love this passage. I love David and Goliath. But if you remember David, when David came into the camp of the Israelites, and they were fighting the Philistines, and the hero of the Philistines was Goliath. You remember how he used to come out every day and taunt uh, the, the, the people? And David heard him. And David said, who is this, you remember the term? Uncircumcised Philistine. Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he would dare taunt the armies of the living God? 
David saw God is able to deliver. He saw that God's army was should not be taunted by these Philistines, especially the uncircumcised ones. And so this was a serious matter. And that ear, that that phrase of circumcision and uncircumcision goes on uh, throughout many, many Jews throughout. Jesus referred to, Paul referred to the Jews as those of, of the circumcision. There were those that respect the law. And many outside that are uncircumcised. And yet, uh, here is this contrast. The, the two of them are brought together. Uh, the Jewish, Jewish people and the, or the circumcised and the uncircumcised. And there is that contrast. There is that struggle. And um, it is still going on. It's a, it's a real issue. So we got those two groups. We got the racial barriers. We got the religious barriers. The cultural barriers, barbarian and Scythian are two groups that are mentioned. Barbarian, John MacArthur in his commentary mentioned that the word barbarian is an autophamaic word. What that means is, as I understand it, it means that here is a word that sounds like what it means. So if you have these people and their language is to the Hebrew, it's a beautiful uh, language to the Hebrew people. They love it. God spoke it to them at the very beginning and so on and so forth. But these barbarians outside, their language is blah, 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 blah. It's just it's kind of uncultured, uh, non-pleasant. And so they call them after that, that language, barbarians. And uh, that was a disdain that the Jews felt to the barbarians and it described the people that are inarticulate, have a stammering speech. And uh, it's just, a, it's criticism of them. It's in, religious snobbery is not a very pleasant thing and the relational snobbery is in. We're in a day, we talk about racism and everything, but it was really big here. They look down their, their uh, pagan noses at these people who are outside. The second group, Scythian, of all the barbaric people, the Scythians were the worst, though the most hated, they were the most feared. They were a nomadic, violent people. They invaded Mesopotamia, the Fertile Crescent, in the seventh century BC. I'm just reading for some of the commentaries that I read. John said that they had uh, a reputation of being a savage, savage people. Whenever they conquered people and they conquered, they loved to attack people and brutally massacre people and hurt people. And Josephus mentions that the Scythians delight in murdering people and are little better than wild beasts. Uh, I understand that the, the worst insult you could give somebody is to associate them with one of these Scythian people. So the point is here, and this is what I'm going to draw the conclusion here, is that these, both of these groups are utterly disdained, uh, utterly outside the position of being... Uh, appreciated, they are wicked. They are people that are simply made to be destroyed. They should be punished. They should be judged. When God asked the Jews to wipe out people in in uh, the, what we call the Promised Land over there, uh, He was bringing judgment on the people because they were very, very wicked and very harsh and very cruel, and they were getting what really they deserved. And then the, the fourth group, the social barriers, are the difference between slave and free man. That's the last two groups in that uh, verse. Um, we read in the passage dealing with tongues and gifts of miracles in 1 Corinthians. 
is Paul says, for by one spirit we are all baptized into one body, whether we are Jews or Greeks or slaves or free, we're all made to drink of one spirit. That's the transition that has taken place before. Uh, slaves uh, was an e economic way of life. Uh, it was a way of supporting yourself and, and uh, people. There were a lot of people that were slaves. Some of them were highly educated, actually. Some of them were better educated than their owners. And uh, they, would, they reached a high level of, of education. They might be in charge of doing the books or doing a lot of the finances for the for their owner who would be wasting his life away drinking or partying or whatever. But that picture of slaves and free men, there was a there was a a uh, mm. there was a barrier there that uh, the slaves were considered property. They were living tools, and uh, they were considered property. But in all these groups, I I hope you can see the thing that comes out. There is a an ongoing hostility among these different groups of people. And yet here in the middle of this passage, talking about putting off the old man, putting on the new, these people are brought together in this passage. And they are mentioned here as being in contrast with Christ, who is all in all. In other words, he is the one that brings us together. He is the one that knocks down these walls. He is the one that in Christ, all groups of people, all groups of humanity, all groups of races um, are brothers and sisters in Christ. We're united in him. And that's the glory. That's one of the big joys. Really, that's where the effect of the gospel is really seen in our lives is how we get along with those who otherwise we would not get along with. And the relationship is genuine and it's real and it comes from the heart. And it really affects the way we treat each other so that uh, we can talk about not just stealing from somebody, but working hard with our hands so that we can help give what is needed to others. Remember the church there in Jerusalem, the first thing they did, there were people coming from all walks of life and they were coming to know the Lord and many of them were kind of stranded. And so a lot of the believers were selling property and giving it to the people so they could have a place to live and a way to survive until things worked out for them. It's unselfish, it's true. It's the change that the gospel makes as we're putting off the old and putting on the new. Next time, we'll be coming back and we'll take up where we left off. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, I pray that you'll help me to be one of these people. That puts off the old man, helped us to know. Lord, as I, I've been preparing for this, I can see that in my life. I can see how how reluctant I am to really give everything to you that I still want to hold on and still want to be the master of my fate. And I'm not, and I know that. And I know that you you we looked at like the parable of the sower. We looked at those passages, and we've seen that you are evaluating not the, the preacher, but the heart of the person who received the message. We know that the effect of the message is due to you and your preparation of our lives. And so I pray that you will prepare my life, prepare my heart, prepare our lives, prepare our hearts to be obedient to your word. Help us to be serious with you. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.